and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, church, and the culture. My name is Derek Rishmaui, and I'm joined by Alistair Roberts. And today we have on a special guest, J. Mark Bertrand of the Bible Design blog. Uh, and he's on to chat with us about designing, reading, using, stacking, maybe, I don't know, uh, Bibles in their various forms. But um, to really get the uh, conversation going, I feel like Alistair's going Alistair's gonna to lead us in here. But Mark, thanks for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. All right, Alistair, cue us up. I thought we'd have a week or so ago, I received a copy of the spectacular new um, version, Reader's Bible version um, by the ESV, produced by Crossway. Um, it's an absolutely beautiful book, and very elegant and stylishly designed. And it's very different from the usual Bible that you would use. It doesn't have chapters and verses within it in the same way. The text doesn't have the same tools around it, cross-references, um, these sorts of things. And so it's a very different experience for the reader. Reading it and looking at it, um, I was struck once again by the significance of Bible design and how it affects the way that we engage with the biblical text. And so I thought, who better to have on than J. Mark Bertrand, who's done so much work on this subject on his blog and elsewhere, and is obviously a passionate advocate for well-designed Bibles. So I thought it would be good to have a discussion of why Bible design matters and what difference that what difference it makes for our engagement with the text. So it's great to have you on, Mark. I would like to hear your thoughts on, for, to start us off, this new movement towards readers' Bibles. What do you think it represents? Wait, and, t- two seconds. What way forward? Alistair, that was such a better intro than what I gave, and that was why I wanted you to intro him. And I just want to say that I was right right now on the air or on whatever it is that you should have introed him initially and not me. I, I shouldn't even be held responsible for the intro I gave right now. So that that's, that's on you, Alistair. All right. Back to Alistair's question. <laughs> so yes, Mark, I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts upon this new um, rise of readers Bibles. What does it mean for the reader of the Bible and our form of engagement with the text? Well, I, I think the way I would answer it is is by saying that for as long as I can remember, it seems to me that uh, pastors, teachers, people who are responsible for the spiritual care of others have been complaining about one thing, which is that, that people don't read their Bibles. And I guess the usual solution to that problem is to try to make the Bible more accessible by uh, translating it differently. But one of the factors that uh, people didn't really pay attention to was the influence that the design of the book has on the way that you use it. So recently, uh, readers' Bibles have emerged really as the answer to the question, how much more readable can the Bible become if we start designing it like a book that's meant to be read? You know, when you think about uh, the classic reference Bible, it looks a lot like a dictionary, right? The uh, 
when I think about like the, especially the old fashioned King James Bible, where every verse is kind of its own paragraph, everything is numbered. Uh, a lot of the words are divided up syllabically so that you can pronounce them. You've got cross references. You've got all of this extra stuff on the page. And as a result, it looks a lot like a dictionary or something. And you use dictionaries to look stuff up in. And it's not surprising that over time, we've come to use our Bibles the same way, to look stuff up in. And so, the way that most of us would interact with that kind of Bible is very different from the way that you would use, say, a a novel or or any kind of prose work. You're you're not immersed into the text in quite the same way because you're, you're looking at it you know, through that grid of, of extra helps. So I think what reader's Bibles do is, is take all of that stuff out and give you an opportunity to experience the text differently. That is, um, yeah, that, that is, that is interesting. So I've, I've recently, you know, I've grown up reading the Bible. I've had Bibles of various sorts, but, um, some of the new study Bibles I've seen, uh, study Bibles were huge for me. I've had a couple in my in my development um, over the years. You know, I had a I had an NIV Study Bible ten years ago. It was huge when I started really trucking in to get all the notes in, and and another one in college because it was the one that they had, uh, or in seminary because it's the one they wanted us to have just as a standard NRSV. Um, but now that that I've kind of well, I, I'm in a grad degree, and um, study Bibles are cool, but you know, I can just walk to the library, and there's 20 million commentaries. Um, picking out like a big, fat study Bible to just sit there and read, like aside from using it as like a quick reference for okay, I don't want to dig out the big commentary. I just want to, you know, a little little nugget just for for thinking about. Um, it's just really unwieldy. And I, I sit there and I look at this and yeah, it feels like this big fat dictionary and it's a text I know, right? The, the print just, um, I get lost in my focus, my focus, which, you know, you think would be decent in grad school. Um, it just becomes even more, even more difficult. Um, but I haven't really sat here and thought about this sort of thing very much, the aesthetics of, of Bible print before. Um, sure. So I'm just, well, I'm just weighing into a good point. Yeah, no, you raise a good point though, that there, I mean, there is a place for reference Bibles. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a place for uh, a, a text that is designed to help with study. And, you know, the, <laughs> when you mentioned study Bibles, the, the very first study Bible, the Geneva Bible is, is, by a lot of people seen as as the culprit in in terms of the uh, design because that's where you see chapter and verse numbers you see uh, the uh, notes in the margins and references and that's where you see the verses broken out line by line the way that they are and yet you know design wise you may want to say it's a culprit but at least for me I have a, a huge amount of sympathy with the Geneva Bible and what it accomplished and why it was that it was as popular as it was. So I'm not saying, you know, reference Bibles are bad. I think what it is, is, is that they're, they're really optimized and have become more and more optimized for specific use. Yeah. And it's not reading. 
Yeah, it, it's and yeah, and so I, I I'm agreeing right there. I I I love them, but at the same time, now at this point, um, I simply can't sit there and use it in the same way that I that I used to, um, because the distraction level, the possible distraction level, is so high. If I'm not in a if I'm not in it, I want to try. I want to trace down all the um, all the connections mode. In that way, those right. they're great. But if I, I want to just sit there and read through Romans, um, you know, the notes almost they drag. They drag you away from the text, and um, it, it's just a different. It's just a different experience. Um, mm-hmm. So, my my layman's agreement, um, Alistair, thought. Something I've always found interesting um, is the degree to which the technology, we might say, of the Bible has changed over the years. So the forms of engagement that go along with that have altered with it. Um, So the early Bible biblical texts would primarily be, um, in the time of the early church, would be on papyrus or something like that. And then later on, you have the development of the codex form as the primary form used by the church. And then further on, you have the development of the Pandect, where all the books of the Bible are within a single volume. And then you have the development of movable type with Gutenberg and the printing press, then steam printing press, and then all these auxiliary um, technologies and processes like chapters and verses, I think in the chapters in the 13th century, I think verses in the 16th. And then other developments such as... um, the movement of the book from one that was primarily designed to be read aloud by trained readers to a community to a book that was more designed as a reference volume. And so each of these things encouraged different sorts of engagement. And even today we see new developments such as digital Bibles that we probably talk about later on in the show. But I don't think that we give enough thought to the way that these things have shaped the way that we think about and engage with the text. So, for instance, there's a fantastic post a few months ago over on Book Trades about the movement from the vocodex to the coindex, both playing on the word codex, but a text that was primarily designed to be read aloud within the community to a text that was principally a reference book for the individual scholar um, where you move backwards and forwards. Now, the Codex always allowed for that sort of thing. As compared to the scroll, which was very much about a sequential reading, you can't move backwards and forwards in the scroll so easily. Um, The Codex allows for back and forth reading, which for a certain type of Christian understanding of the text is very natural. We move backwards and forwards between Old and New Testament, between promise and fulfilment, between typological echoes and these sorts of things. So there is a sort of backwards and forwards within our concept of scripture. And then also the book itself represents things. So for instance, in the tradition that I'm within at the moment, the book can sometimes be a physical object that is significant within the liturgy. So it's brought forward at particular points. The gospel is treated in a very specific way as a book um, and its presence within the community. This physical material text represents something about the significance of scripture within the heart of the community. And these sorts of changing relationships with the text, these changing forms of the text and these changing tools associated with the text 
all produce different styles of readers, reading and different types of readers and understandings of our relationship with scripture. So I'd be interested to hear Mark's thoughts, particularly on the ways in which Bible readers are shaped in the current context and some of the ways in which new biblical formats can reshape us as readers. Sure. I think one thing that is striking when you look at the history of, of, frankly, of innovation, technological innovation in the history of the Bible is how quickly we forget. Um, as you mentioned, those periods of, of change, uh, it's, it, it's amazing how quickly we come to see the new thing as the traditional thing and, and have a difficulty in imagining that Christians in the past their relationship to scripture was different than ours and the way that they, they would have seen it and been able to use it in some cases, you know, very different. You know, I think about the rise of the codex, which you mentioned, and to me it's always seemed, and maybe this is a stretch, but it's interesting to see the technology of the codex emerging more or less side by side with this process of recognizing the canon the idea of bringing together, you know, which are the authoritative books um, eventually under one cover. As far as how that technology changes the way that we we interact with the text, I think there's there's an interesting point in our current day, which is um, the openness towards readers' Bibles. I think is is driven greatly by the technological moment we happen to be in. It's not that no one ever thought of trying to design a a Bible that was more reader-friendly in the past. It's been done, you know, at least every generation has had at least one attempt for the last hundred years, but they've always been very niche affairs. They haven't really had a widespread use. And I think part of the reason is that if all you have is, is the physical form, and you have the Bible, that, that one book that you carry around with you, presumably, you never know what you're going to need and when you're going to need it. And so there's this sense that I want it all. I want to be sure I've got all of the extras in there just in case I need them. And so you see that in, in reference Bibles, that sort of um, development where you're, you're packing more and more in. And then we reach this moment where your reference Bible, no matter how much it has in it, even if you've got like the that original full edition ESV study Bible that basically has, uh, you know, a four-year seminary degree coursework printed in the back, it still doesn't have as much information as what you have available on your phone via an app. And I think so the, the Bible no longer has that, to be a, a Swiss army knife. Right. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Because, I mean, hasn't the reference Bible throughout its whole history been aspiring towards hypertext? You know, that's what it wants to be. And now suddenly the technology allows it to be, but not in print. And so we have all of these tools available to us. They're, they're portable. They're always with you. And as a result, it frees the physical book to be something else. And I think the question then becomes, what do you want it to be? And, and a reader's Bible is a good way to answer that question because I think it's reconnecting us with, with the one thing we're most conscious of having lost, which is our sort of deep immersive relationship with scripture, the, the kind of immersion that forms you instead of a kind of critical engagement 
where where you're looming over the text, uh, the Reader's Bible presents the opportunity to to reverse that a little bit, I think. And so, I, I think that's that may be why now we're at a moment where Reader's Bibles could stick around. Let, let, let me ask you. Um, so, what I saw the other day, I borrowed a friend's Bible for a short short while. He has a he actually had like a moleskin Bible where um, mm-hmm. it's basically just you know the text, and you've got really wide margins on the side for for note taking, um, small print, right. and all that. Um, I look at all this, and I think yes, this sounds right. You know, I've got I've got the Bible on my phone. I can just flip through it. And I actually have a Logos Bible app on my phone. I can, you know, cruise through the Greek and check five commentaries if I, if I actually wanted. I mean, that, that would kill my eyes, but right. it's, it's real. The flip side, though, is um, the reader's Bible still feels niche to me, right? It still feels like, um, you know, you know the, the news came out about the Bibliotheca, um, you know, Kickstarter Reader's Bible, and everybody's posting about the ESV one, but it still feels right now like this could possibly be the um, just another niche thing that kind of Bible world, theology world insiders know. Oh, you got to have a Reader's Bible, like that's sure. that's really. I'm just I'm playing. I'm just playing skeptic, playing devil's advocate a little bit here. Uh, and I'm just curious what you guys think about the dynamic of like how, how making these things go, you know, big, so to speak, go national, go uh, regular, like in, in, in the household having, uh, you know, every household having a reader's Bible, which will cost a chunk. Cause there's, you know, six, seven volumes or whatever, and they're making them with, like, the leather leather uh, print. I mean, do you see, like, cheap readers' Bibles coming out? You know, it's, like, five volumes, but sure. they're all, like, kind of cruddy paperback. And um, it, well, it just seems like these things are designed to be specialty, like, affluent people Bibles. Um, okay, so there is already a one-volume Reader's Bible, and I think this is what Alistair was referring to earlier, that Crossway released in, in 2014. Okay. And in a very nice, like, it's all in one volume, very beautifully designed, uh, in a nice hardcover for 20 bucks in a slipcase. Okay. So Reader's Bibles, you know, have, have gotten nicer than they began, but began very affordable. And so it's it's not it's not really a, a, a tough thing to get in. It is absolutely still a niche. You know, not a lot of people know about this, but but let me put it this way. So when I began Bible Design Blog in 2007, my focus was on Bibles that were well-designed, well-made, put together nicely, bound, that sort of thing. Um, what we would think of as luxury today, but what would have just been quality, you know, 50 years ago. And at that time, I felt like I was writing, I was like chronicling the twilight of quality Bible publishing because all of the companies that were, were working in that field were really small. Mostly they were reprinting um, text settings from the past. New work wasn't being done. 
and the people who had the skills to do it were were kind of retiring and dying off that sort of thing so it definitely felt like it was the end of something and now you know 10 years later it's the beginning of something and we're seeing much more being done not just in terms of uh, quality printing and and binding but also a lot of fresh design is being done and 10 years ago if i had described this future it would have seemed just as unlikely as today, a future where readers' Bibles are, are unknown thing seems. Uh, my hope is that, that it'll be a similar build. You know, I, I, I don't think readers' Bibles will ever take over the market, so to speak. But I think what could happen is, is that we could see over time, it's a sustainable uh, subsection, just in the way that you know, even if you look at, at the design of reference Bibles, right, reference Bibles over the last 10 years have become much more reader-friendly than they used to be. So if, if you've got to have a reference Bible, you can get a Cambridge Clarion, for example, and you have all of the reference tools, but you also have a very handy uh, single-column text paragraph that reads like a book. It's, it's not as immersive as a true reader's Bible, but for a reference Bible, it's pretty good. And so I think it, what we're seeing is, is progress towards the goal of readability. And I think there, there are a lot of reasons for that, but, but it gives me hope that reader's Bibles may be around to stay this time. Something that struck me reading um, the, the Bible I was referring to earlier was the new six-volume crossway um, ah. version, which you've been reviewing on your blog. It's, I mean, yes. I find it absolutely superb. But one of the first things that struck me was this sense of disorientation, that you've been used to engaging with the Bible with a, in a particular way for the entirety of your life, and then suddenly you meet this text that has all of the usual place markers expunged from it. And you have to find your way just by knowing the text itself, none of the navigational tools that you have around it. So, for instance, it would be like um, the experience of telling history without being able to use um, any dates. You just have to tell the story and get your orientation relative to this happened in the reign of so-and-so at the time when such-and-such -such was king over there and when this particular tribe was in the ascendant, that sort of thing. And right. it's a very different experience of finding your way in Scripture, which, after the sense of disorientation, I found profoundly rewarding, because it made me realise the degree to which I had been relying upon something that substituted for a lack of knowledge in certain respects. I wasn't paying attention to my bearings um, in terms of my surroundings as much as I could have been if I'd been paying attention to, for instance, the way that the text moved and the particular details of the text, which I try to attend to as a reader and scholar of Scripture, um, I would have been more able to do that as someone using a reader's Bible than as someone using a regular Bible. Because in the regular Bible, you're always tempted to fall back upon the crutch of the um, verses, the chapters, and you can't necessarily have the same ease and fluency with the narrative 
dimension and um, bearings within the text, if that makes sense. So on that level, it at does. least, I think it changes our relationship with Scripture in a significant way and improves us as readers of it. You know, Alistair, I, right. I actually can't find things according to verses and numbers, so I feel like I'm ahead of the game here. Um, you might be. You might have been. You might have been hobbled by your chapter and verse approach. So, I'm just going to throw that out there. One up on you. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, okay, this isn't really just. This might derail things. Um, typeface, like which? Let me. Every, if if I know one thing about you sorts of people. And I'm just going to cl- class you. Y'all have preferred fonts, and I'm just really curious. Best Bible font. Go. Oh. Yeah, so, you know, the the Reader's Bible is set in Trinite number two, and I actually think it's very beautiful. A lot of Crossways Bibles and other Bibles have used uh, lexicon, and the... The, the basic challenge with Bible typography is that you are trying to um, you're trying to fit as many characters on the page as you elegantly can. And of course, with some design, you can see that that they gave up on the elegantly part, right? So they tend to be uh, typefaces that are designed to be a little uh, narrower than usual typeface. And so you compensate in other ways to try to preserve readability. And as a result of that, most of the typefaces that are used in Bible design represent a kind of compromise. What's the the most readable thing that we can get um, and still fit the parameter of squeezing it all in? Uh, What I like about the reader's Bible is you don't have to think that way, especially a multi-volume one. In a single volume, when you still have to make these considerations, but but in a multi-volume reader's Bible, you don't have to be concerned about cramming things onto the page, and so it opens up a world of of typography to you that that was previously denied, and that's my preference. I, I if I had to choose, you know, what Bible do I want? Or, or what font do I want the Bible to be set in? It wouldn't be any of the specialty Bible fonts. It would be, for, for my taste, something kind of more classic and to a lot of people more boring, like Adobe Caslon or Garamond or something. Those are the typefaces that I like because that's the period of design that, that resonates with me. Um, you wouldn't typically use those unless you're in a context where you don't have to have a specialty typeface. Alistair, do you have a thought? Um, I'd largely agree with that. Um, I I do like Garamond. And also the design of... There's a a freedom to um, have a much more readable text when you've divided the text into a number of different volumes rather than trying to force it into one. Um, and that's one of the things that I do appreciate about the new ESV Bible, that there is this... It feels a lot is a text with room to breathe. Um, And in many respects, you feel that from the size of the margins. It doesn't feel cluttered in the way that a regular Bible often does. Um, And for the reader, it's a much more pleasant reading experience as a result. And so you naturally, I think, spend more time in it. And you're not 
hurrying through it or you're not um, moving to and fro so quickly. You're not distracted by the details on the page. Um, you're more able to, in some ways, when you have a really well-designed Bible, your focus isn't fixated upon the surface of the text. You can actually lose yourself in the um, what it describes and de- speaks of. Um, one, one thing I'd be interested to discuss at this point is the rise of digital Bibles. And digital Bibles for a while, I mean, some people were suggesting that they would be take over from all the regular Bibles that were used and eventually displace them. But that doesn't seem to have happened. And I know that you've written on this before, Mark, and I'd be interested to know what you think is the place of digital Bibles within the church and also the future of them. Do you think that they ever will... Um, assume a larger place within our um, reading of scripture or are they hitting more more or less plateauing in terms of their status within the church and Christians lives that's a good question um, there's there is a part of me that that hopes the answer is that they've hit a plateau because you know I, I think the the physical book is is what I'm committed to it's it's what my heart believes is the right thing. Uh, at the same time, though, it seems to me that um, it's really early in the conversation to be able to predict that. And and I feel confident that there were, you know, scribes in the, the late 15th century who were convinced that print wouldn't stick around because it was such a bad quality in comparison to what a, what a trained scribe could do or something. And... Um, and they were in for a surprise. And I suspect that what we see now is, is not going to be the, the way things end up and that we will, uh, see a, like a, a next wave in terms of the use of, of eBooks. And I think this is especially true maybe with younger readers. Um, I don't think it's going to to kill the printed book or anything like that, but but I think the 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 sigh of relief that a lot of us have have breathed is is possibly premature. Having said that, it, it seems to me that technology does offer good things, and I am I, I've sort of made my peace with the idea of the Bible app. Uh, I use them and I see the use, the, the value of them. I just would say that in terms of, of design, they fall far short. E- even the ones that are praised for their design um, typographically make me want to scratch my eyes out. So I think there's a long way to go, but we will see them used more. And And part of the reason why I think is, is that, you have to look at the way most people use their Bibles. And, and we have an idea in our mind that, you know, the Bible as a physical book is getting all this use and, and people are attentively sitting down to read for an hour every day or something like that. And I'm sure, you know, that does happen. And in some communities more than in others, but the reason why Bible publishers for years could sell poorly made, you know, glued binding Bibles is that they just didn't get enough use for people to realize that uh, they weren't made very well. And I think the Bible app has that quality of like, it's always there when you need it. 
um, so you don't have to worry about it. And so I, th I think the, the, the question of how much they're used is a little different from the question of how widely um, downloaded they are or how widely possessed they are, if that makes sense. And of course, that's true for physical Bibles as well. So I think we're always going to see a mix. I think, ironically, it seems to me, and this is completely anecdotal, but uh, the people who seem to use them most extensively in my experience, are actually ministers and teachers. Um, they have have tended to to be more deeply invested in that technology, and and I think you know that makes sense. They are using the text more than most people. Yeah, you talk about the importance of the material text, and that's something I've found that I can never <laughs> feel that a digital Bible is my own. Whereas hmm. I have a, the Bible that I use almost all the time is um, one that I was given um, back in 88. I've had it pretty much all my life and it's falling apart. But yet hmm. I really feel it is my own. I've not even written anything in it or underlined anything. But the pages have been so well thumbed through and it really is falling apart. But it is a book that I've formed a relationship with, and you can't do that with uh, digital text, I don't think. It also right. has a presence as a result, and it's something that I'll pass on to someone else in time, perhaps, but it has a material presence that represents for me more than just a vehicle for a text. It's something that, is, um, that represents the history of that text within my life, that this book has been a constant presence in my life. And that book's presence also represents the presence of the scriptures in my life. This book was given to me by my parents, and it's something that represents the heritage of the faith within my family, and not just some ambivalent vehicle of the Bible, of the biblical text. I, I think that's that points to that kind of larger question of, of how much of our Christian practice remains embodied in, in an age of, of, you know, digital technology. When I reflect on my own church services and I, I think what, what are the aspects of the service that are digitally reproducible and that can be experienced anywhere where I don't have to be physically present, so to speak. And then what are the elements that require me to be here that, that I have to be here in the flesh. And I think that the question of the, the, the digital Bible versus the physically present one speaks to that, that deeper, um, I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but that deeper sense that we have living now that, that we are in danger of losing that, you know, that there's, there's a value in, in a, certainly for Christianity in an embodied experience of, of, of worship. Along those lines, I find it interesting to reflect upon the differences in the ways that Bibles have been brought to us. So the mean, the traditional means of killing a number of sh a flock of sheep, getting their skins, mm. stretching them out and everything else. And then the scribes writing upon them. And this sense of the book as uh, 
a text that has a genealogy that the particular text that was is produced has a provenance it comes from a particular location a particular group of trained scribes who are copying another specific text that this text descends from as it were but in the age of mass reproduction of texts it's a very different sort of logic and there's no longer the same rootedness of the text within a particular community and context now within the northeast of england i'm working as a volunteer guide in Durham Cathedral and I look I work in the Open Treasures exhibition where you have some of these texts that date back before the printing press and I've had the chance to handle them and to see what they're like and it's an extremely different experience it feels these are texts that are very deeply rooted in space and time and you mm. feel as if you're um, crossing the threshold of another age as you open them up Whereas our modern texts, I don't think, have that same sense. Um, they're a bit more chronologically anony anonymous, perhaps. But there's right. also this sense, when you read these older texts, that they were written for and by communities. Whereas most of our modern texts are written or are produced for individual readers and for readers more or less detached from the context of their churches. They use these Bibles in the, as church members, etc., but the Bibles are primarily designed for the individual reader. Do you think that there's a future for the church Bible, and what might that look like? I would like to think that there is. Um, the Part of the challenge, of course, is, is the way that... Um, translation and and that sort of thing has been over uh, taken over by publishers rather than ecclesiastical bodies for the most part and that is a shift in ownership that that uh, does make a difference it seems to me that there are attempts to capture at least some of that sense of a a, a text as particularized even you know that you could you could look at the way that the the six volume reader's bible has been presented and and you know you're told what kind of paper it was printed on where that happens uh what kind of type was used all of that sort of thing even down to where the the walnut slip case was made by Amish craftsmen in Indiana that sort of thing and i think you know one way to look at that is to say well that's that's just the height of hipster, you know, faux provenance. But another way to look at it is exactly that sense that we want we want to push back against the the, the sort of anonymous mass produced sense that we have that this is just another um, corporate product for the religious consumer. Um, I don't know what churches could do to, to revive, let's say, the, the church Bible on a massive scale. But I would say it seems to me that being conscious of the need for the, the, the Bible to be the book of the church would be a good start. Um, one of my recent obsessions has been pulpit Bibles, lectern Bibles, that sort of thing, those large format Bibles that used to be present everywhere. And, uh, you know, it, it, if you had a church, you had one of these things and, and they not only 
let you look at the text, but they have sign value, you know, where they're placed and how they're used. You were alluding earlier uh, to gospel books used in, in services I mean, that, that signifies. And I'd like to see in, in the church broadly a revival of that kind of consciousness of, of the Bible as the church's book. Uh, but of course, if you, if you look at what's out there, what's available, the options are, are limited and it's because the demand is low. Our sense of, you know, for a lot of us, our sense of what, what church is and what gathered worship looks like, there's not even a, a place for such a book to be located. Fellas, um, I don't know that this is the best place to wrap things up, but I think we're going to wrap things up. Uh, I do want to ask if there are any final thoughts y'all have about the future of of Bibles and readers' Bibles and such, or any final recommendations for our listeners uh, as to what they should be looking for. For me, you know, one I of think the as far as a f- thing. For me, one you of the striking you things first. is that we are we are actually asking these questions now in a way that I don't think we have in the past. We're thinking about the design of Bibles as something that shapes our experience of them, and people are being inventive and creative. And I think even if we haven't got church Bibles yet in the way that I'd like to see them, for instance, I think that people are starting to ask the questions, and there are the opportunities and the openings to change our forms of engagement with the text and for that reason alone i am optimistic about the future of the bible in the church i share that optimism i think my final uh, i guess my parting shot would be this that um, i think it'd be easy for for people listening uh to be skeptical of some of the things that we're talking about and to think it is a uh, purely aesthetic phenomena. And so I would encourage them to give it a try. I mean, as I said, the, the single volume ESV Reader's Bible is really affordable. Uh, read it and see for yourself if it's not a more immersive experience, if it doesn't change the way that you read the Bible for the better. And going beyond that, inspired by, by what Alistair is saying, I, I would also encourage... Um, you know, pastors and, and people of influence to not only use these things personally, but also to encourage their communities to do so. Because a lot of us, our tastes are shaped by those who have influence over us or an authority over us, and we need that kind of guidance and direction. And so, if you have a desire to see your community more deeply immersed in the Bible, this would be a good way to go about doing that. All right. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming on. Appreciate this. This was illuminating. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, this is not something I've given a ton of thought to myself, but um, I learned a lot. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm thinking maybe when I, when I get money and I'm not in grad school <laughs> or <laughs> maybe sooner, uh, I, I, might, I might go ahead and look at that because the, the way I approach the text um, – in printed or in electronic form, there's. It's a matter of greater value than I've given. I've given thought up until this point. So, hmm. um, thanks for coming on. If you if you've been listening, if you enjoyed the show, found it helpful, please 
share it or uh, find us on iTunes, rate and review us. Uh, and we will have a link to uh, Mark's blog, uh, the Bible blog, on the show notes at Mirror Orthodoxy so you can follow some more of his insightful commentary on you know texts and 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 products and 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 the continuing movements of uh, bible printing so with that thanks for listening in